is Histories and Mysteries Uncovered. I'm Ashley. And I'm Jessica. And on this week's episode, Ashley will be talking about the story of Brandon Tina. And I will be talking about Amelia Earhart. Yeah, mine is really awful. So I'm hoping your story will be much better. Do you not know Amelia Earhart? <laughs> I mean, like, I know she disappeared and I know like the theories behind why she disappeared, but I, other than, I mean, did she have a hard life? I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, okay. But, yeah. So I'm hoping yours will be a bit better. But I also just realized a funny thing about her last name is it's Earhart is how it's pronounced. Yeah. And she loved flying. Ooh. Heart air. Oh, did she do that Heart on purpose? I mean, it, it's her last name. So, is it like her real not. last name? I mean, like, is it her? I think last so. Name? Oh, okay. My hair. I, is, I don't know what it's doing right now. It's just crazy. You're the one touching it. It's, go- it's just crazy. Okay. I don't know what's happening. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> um. On a more fun note, though, do you watch Love Is Blind? No. Oh my god, it's so good. It's so dramatic and I love it so much. And they're just released the new season. They're like releasing the episodes in batches. And so it's like all over TikTok now. Everybody's talking about all the couples and stuff. It's insane. You have to watch it. It's so good. It's so bad. It's good. Okay. I love it. <laughs> Trash TV. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. One oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's great i love it uh on some other news though since i can't talk about love is blind since you haven't seen it uh we well jessica posted on our facebook uh and instagram that ruby frankie got sentenced so that's good Yay! yeah oh i'm so happy yeah yeah well it was like what 60 years i think so yeah i can't remember the amount but it was a good it was a good amount that's amazing i love that yeah and it's the more that's come out about the abuse of her children the worse it it gets that's terrible yeah i don't have children i know (sighs) i just don't want to get into this (laughs) yeah on to some crappier stuff. Yeah. So if many of you have heard, there was a murder basically here in America of a non-binary student named Nex Benedict. And they were 16 years old. And so Oklahoma passed a law that said you have to use the bathroom that you were assigned at set of the sex you were assigned at birth. So next was non-binary, but they were assigned female at birth. So they had to use the female bathroom while in there, three older girls. And this is my thing. If next was 16, that means that the older girls had to be 17 or 18, because if they were 16, I think they would have said the same age girls, right? Yeah. So they're basically adult, like they know what they're doing. Absolutely. And they basically beat the shit out of Nex. And someone said that they were like beating Nex's head. And the school said 
that they broke up the fight within two minutes, but the damage had already been done. They sent necks to the school nurse. And there's been two different reports. One report says that next couldn't walk, like needed help to get to the school nurse. One report said that next could walk, that they were fine. But the nurse said that they would take next to the hospital, just over an abundance of caution. So the family took next to the hospital. Next was discharged. The next day they went back to the hospital and next died. Now, police are coming out and saying that the death of Nex was not due to injuries sustained in the beating. Bullshit. Like I was telling Jessica, so you're telling me that a healthy 16-year-old child got beat the shit out of, died the next day, and that's just a coincidence? Like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't understand how they thought that that was going to fly. So there's been a lot of outpouring of support for next and, you know, people really pushing for non-binary rights and they want it to be considered a hate crime because the girl's motives were because next was non-binary and that's apparently next was bullied from the girls and Oklahoma does not include sex in their protected um, classes, so it can't be considered a hate crime. However, the FBI does. So if the FBI is brought in on this case, they can charge the girls with a hate crime. Are they going to? I don't know. I mean, everything is still so new. Did they say how they died? They haven't. They just said the preliminary autopsy report said that it didn't connect to the assault. And that's all they've said. (laughs) I'll be really interested to see what excuse they come up with. Like what could have happened at the same time that had nothing to do with the assault. Yeah. So it's awful, horrible. It's your biggest fear as a parent. You know, you send your child to school and they get murdered. Like, I I can't imagine. But because of that, and in Nex's honor, I did a story about another non-binary person uh, who was also murdered, but their... It's awful. It's a horrible story, but their murder is kind of the first thing that opened up people's eyes to non-binary people and kind of pushed for more um, safety for non-binary people. Okay. So I got my sources from Out History, Forensic Files Now, New Yorker, The Atlantic, Grunge, and History Hollywood. December 12th, 1972, Joanne Brandon gave birth to a beautiful baby girl and she named her Tina Renee Brandon, which is how he got his name, Brandon Tina. He basically just slipped his name. Pretty cool. So from now on, I will be using he pronouns because that was what Brandon wanted to go by. Okay. Sounds good. So Joanne was a young mother and Brandon's father passed away from a car accident before he was even born. 
but his mom did her best with him and his older sister, Tammy. And I'm sorry, I said at the beginning that this was another non-binary case. I'm sorry, I meant transgender case. So Brandon was from female to male, but it's kind of started to talk about gender and gender fluidity and stuff like that. So, okay. I'm glad you clarified because I was was wondering. My apologies. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So Brandon and Tammy lived with their grandmother for a period of time until Brandon was about three and Tammy was about six and their mother came back and they moved into Pine Acre Mobile Home Park in Lincoln, Nebraska. Now I couldn't find out why their mother did not have them for that period of time. I was just about to ask you, do we know where she went? I don't know. Um, I know Brandon's dad died in an alcohol related car accident. I don't know if it was him drinking or, or like the person who hit them drinking. And again, I don't know why the mom didn't have them. If it had to do with drinking, if it had to do with drugs, if it had to do with, you know, depression after her significant other died, I'm not sure. But The mom did come back and uh, took Brandon and his sister to the mobile home park. She got disability and worked in a retail store and did the best she could as a single mom with two kids. But at one point for several years, both Brandon and his sister, Tammy, were being sexually abused by their uncle. Brandon did later seek out therapy for this so that's good but this kind of comes into play um afterwards with the news coverage and we'll get into that brandon was described as a tomboy since he was little he always preferred kind of wearing more masculine clothes than feminine clothes and in the little town of lincoln nebraska which is actually where my grandmother's from oh yeah it was and especially back in the you know 80s 70s 80s 90s like this was not heard of so i'm sure he peaked more than a few people's like you know angered some people. thank you anger yes yeah. thank you <laughs> by high school he was dating girls and he was using more masculine names he started using billy and then eventually landed on brandon He was apparently very popular with the ladies because he was very romantic and he was really cute. He had blue eyes and brown hair and a little baby face. He was really, really cute. And, you know, he was romantic and we love that shit. So he was really popular with the women. But he did struggle in school. He couldn't focus. He was a bit rebellious. And it probably didn't help that he went to a Catholic school. And being that he was transgender, he did not really get along super well with the priest. Apparently, he would object to a lot of things the priest said, uh, kind of always protesting a bit and wearing more masculine clothing, which was out of the uniform for the Catholic school. And he eventually rejected Christianity He after he protested to a priest about Christian views on abstinence and homosexuality. I need to interrupt. Yes. He was so cute. Wasn't he? Like, so handsome. Yeah, he was really handsome. Did you ever watch the, like, Christina Ricci Casper movie? Yes. He looks like the actor that played the human Casper. Devin Sawa. 
Yes. I love Devin Sawa. He looked like him. Yeah, he did. He was very cute. Such a cutie. Mm Mm-hmm. So during his senior year, an army recruiter came to his school and Brandon was like, yes, I'm going to join the army. And he enlisted in the army, but he actually, they said, failed, and I'm using air quotes, the entrance exam when he put that he was male instead of female. Oh, what bullshit. Yeah. So he couldn't join. He eventually started failing class and skipping class. And three days before graduation, he was expelled. Three days. They couldn't just let him go for three more days. No, because they're assholes. Yeah. And at this point, he also had a strained relationship with his mom because she was not happy about him being transgendered. So with no high school diploma, a strained relationship with his mom and childhood trauma, Brandon felt a little lost. How is his relationship with his sister? They don't ever talk about his sister. I didn't oh. read one thing about his sister. Weird. Yeah, even in the aftermath, I didn't read anything about his sister. So mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering if maybe she didn't want to have anything to do with the interviews and stuff. And so we don't really know much about her. Yeah. Yeah. But since he was a little lost, he he did some naughty things. He started forging checks and stealing credit cards to make money. He also started dating a girl named Heather, and she was his first serious relationship, but his mom was not happy about this. But Brandon loved her and started working at a gas station to save up money to buy a trailer for him and Heather. Aww. In 1992, Brandon sought out counseling from David Bolkovic, who was the director of the Gay and Lesbian Resource Center at the University of Nebraska. But I'm not a fan of David. First, oh, okay. First, (laughs) he put out a quote and misgendered Brandon several times, which, okay, if you misgender someone, I understand. I've accidentally done it several times before on this podcast in real life. But if you're the director of the Gay and Lesbian Resource Center, I feel like you would be more cautious with that. Like a little more aware to what you're doing or saying. Yes. And being I a know, little bit more compassionate. Yeah. And this was in the 90s. So at the time, transgender, gender fluidity, that kind of stuff was not really talked about or known. I mean, obviously, they had the Gay and Lesbian Resource Center. And even, you know, this was in its infancy, you know, of accepting gay and lesbian, you know, let alone transgender, which was completely new. So... <laughs> Brandon was apparently diagnosed with severe sexual identity crisis and was taken to Lancaster County Crisis Center to make sure he wasn't suicidal. Are you freaking kidding me? No, because back then, transgender was seen as a psychological diagnosis. And I know that gay and lesbian was also seen as a psychological diagnosis, but I don't know when that one changed. After three days, he was released and started to attend regular therapy sessions. Sometimes his mom or sister would join him. But when that happened, he didn't talk much about his sexuality, I think, because he was afraid that they would judge him. And so after about two weeks, he stopped going. 
longing for a better life where no one knew that he was born female, he decided to move to Falls City, Nebraska in 1993. Basically, he started over. No one knew him there. He presented as a man. He told people he was a man. So he was a man and everybody treated him as such. He moved in with a new roommate, Lisa Lambert, and began dating her friend, Lana Tisdale. He also became friends with John L. Lauder and Marvin Thomas Neeson. Well, Brandon was doing naughty things again. And on December 19th, 1993, he was arrested again for forging checks. Oh, Brandon. I know. And this this ends up being his downfall, unfortunately. Oh, sweetie. So his girlfriend, Lana, went to jail to bail him out and was shocked to find him in the female section of the prison. So from what I read, and I mean, honestly, this is none of our business, but he was more of a giver than a receiver when it came to sexual activities. And so she didn't know that he was a born a female. Okay. Until she went to jail and found him mm-hmm. in the female section. Unfortunately, yeah. um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Brandon told her that he was intersex and that he wanted reassignment surgery eventually. So for those of you that don't know, intersex is when you're born with both. So basically the more scientific name for hermaphrodite is when you're born with both. However, I don't believe that Brandon was truly intersex. I think that was something he would tell people. Um, But he said he did want reassignment surgery eventually. So there's two stories here with this now. One says that Lana continued to date him, but she actually said she did not continue to date him after, which she goes to great lengths to prove this, which I think is ridiculous. But she actually sued filmmakers of the movie boys don't cry because boys don't cry with Hillary Swank. I don't know. Have you ever seen that Jessica? Nope. I haven't either, but that's based on Brandon's story. Hillary Swank played Brandon. Oh, she won an Oscar for her role. Oh shit. Yeah. And I think it's pretty close to what happened. I know when Brandon speaks to the police in the movie, they use the exact transcripts. Um, But I haven't seen it, so I don't know exactly how close it follows to the true story. But Lana did sue them because in the movie, Lana continued to date Brandon. But Lana said, I didn't. And so she sued the movie for that and some other ways she was portrayed that she didn't like. And she ended up settling for an undisclosed amount out of court. But either way, doesn't matter. When Brandon Brandon was arrested... It was also posted in the local newspaper under his dead name. And that's how his shitty ass friends learned that he was transgender. As if. I know. Apparently, this enraged the two men that Brandon had become friends with, John Lauder and Marvin Neeson, because they're scums of the earth and horrible people. So at a Christmas Eve party that everyone was attending, the two two men grabbed Brandon and made him pull his pants down in the middle 
of the party so that everyone could see he had a vulva. Seriously? Yeah. They forced Alana to look and she she just said nothing. The two men then forced Brandon into their car, drove him to a meat packing plant and took turns raping him. They then went back to Neeson's home, told Brandon to take a shower, but he was able to escape out of their bathroom window and went back to Lana's house. Now, John and Marvin had told Brandon to keep his mouth shut or they would, quote, permanently shut it. But he was convinced by Lana to file a police report because obviously that's what you should do in this situation. Absolutely. Pieces of trash bags. But in this small town of Nebraska, the police officer that got his case was just as bad as the two men, in my opinion. (sighs) Brandon originally went to the emergency room where they did a rape kit on him, but shockingly, they lost it. Of course. So this piece of shit police officer, Charles B. Locks, and I hope I said his name wrong, was a pig and not saying that calling him a pig because he's a cop, like literally a pig who was interested more in Brandon's transgender status than the fact that an innocent person was just basically gang raped. Yeah. And I have some of the transcripts from the interview and it's horrible. Okay. So the cop said, after he pulled your pants down and seen you as a girl, what did he do? Did he fondle you any? Brandon. No. Also, good job on the grammar, you fucking moron. Brandon, no. Cop, he didn't fondle you any, huh? Didn't that kind of amaze you? Doesn't that kind of uh, get your attention somehow that he would have put his hands in your pants and play with you a little bit? Are you fucking kidding me? Then a little bit later, he said, the cop said, you were all half-assed drunk. I can't believe that if he pulled your pants down and you're a female, that he didn't stick his hand in you or his finger in you. Brandon, well, he didn't. Cop, I can't believe he didn't. Can you move on, sir? Like, why is that, like, the main point of concern for you? Yeah. A little bit later, Charles said, Charles said, uh, did he have a hard on when he got back there or what? Yeah. Brandon, I don't know. I didn't look. Charles, you didn't look. Did he take a little time working it up or what? Did you work it up for him? Brandon, no, I didn't. Charles, you didn't work it up for him. Brandon, no. Charles, then you think he had it worked up on his own or what? Brandon, I guess so. I don't know. Charles, you don't know. Did when he got in the back seat, you were already spread out back there ready for him, waiting on him. Brandon, no, I was sitting up when he got back there. Can you fucking imagine going through the hell that Brandon went through? Two men taking turns raping you and then having a cop talk to you like this. Absolutely not. Like how? I just, I just, I have no words. One of the reporters called it his, basically his third rape. There's more. Yeah. 
Uh, Why? (laughs) Don't want to hear it. Charles. And you had never had sex before. Brandon, no. Charles, how old are you? Brandon, 21. Charles. And if you're 21, you think you'd have you'd have trouble getting it in? What? What? A little bit later. Charles, why do you run around with girls instead of uh, guys being you're a girl yourself? Brandon, why do I do? Why do I what? Charles, why do you run around with girls instead of guys being you're a girl yourself? Brandon, I haven't the slightest idea. Charles, you have the slightest idea. You go around kissing other girls. The girls that don't know about you thinks you're a guy. Do you kiss them? A little bit later, Brandon, I have a sexual identity crisis. Charles, a what? Brandon, I have a sexual identity crisis. Charles, you want to explain that? Brandon, I don't know if I can even talk about it. The director of Boys Don't Cry basically said that this was a third rate for Brandon and even said that there was a level of provocation and pleasure that Lux derived out of making Brandon relive his own torture. Well, this man got fired. And mm, he does not. Some more wonderful quotes from the devil himself. Charles. Do you run around once in a while with a sock in your pants to make you look like a boy? Are you kidding me? No. This poor person was raped. And you're asking him if he runs around with a sock in his pants. Like, how does that have anything to do with what is being reported? This next one, I think, is probably the worst one. Even when Charles was asking Tina question, Tina, they, the, um, sorry, the report that I was reading on this called Brandon Tina. Cause that was his last name, not because that was his dead name. So, okay. But, um, was asking Brandon questions about the rape. They were often demeaning and dehumanizing such as. So then after he couldn't stick it in your vagina, he stuck it in your box or in your buttocks. Is that right? Did he play with your breasts or anything? He called it a box, Jessica. Why? Doesn't matter. Where it's put. So he was a great police officer. To make matters worse, he called in John and Marvin and spoke with them, told him that a rape had been reported, but then decided not to arrest them. Shocker. One article I read said that he didn't arrest the two men because he didn't believe Brandon and that Brandon was seen as deceitful because he was living as a gender that he wasn't assigned at birth. Even the local news felt this way with headlines such as death of a deceiver, deadly deception, Tina Brandon's double life may have led to a triple murder, which they used his dead name there. Cross dresser killed two weeks after town learned her true identity. Those were headlines after Brandon died in the news. How can people sleep at night? I I, don't understand why there's so much hate in the world. And I don't understand how you can be so... Out of touch? What's the opposite of passionate or empathetic? Like, so... 
non-blanking. <laughs> so non-empathetic. Yeah. People, you know, I don't care what gender you see yourself as, what gender you are, what gender you identify as. Someone got raped. Like this is yeah. not okay. My thought is if they're not hurting you in any way and they're not impacting your life in any way, let them live their life. Exactly. Let them be. Yes. Let them live their true self. You're allowed to run around like a trash bag. Yeah. And be your true self. Nobody is murdering you. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. I know. So the two men were pissed at this point. They had told Brandon to never tell anyone about what happened, and he did. So on December 31st, 1993, the two men broke into Brandon's house. Really? All of these like major events, New Year's Eve, Christmas, Mm -hmm. what assholes? They found, again, there's two stories here. One was that Brandon was hiding under a blanket and one was that he was hiding under a bed. But either way, Brandon must have heard them coming and he was hiding. Uh, I also heard two different stories about what happened here. So one story said that they went in found his roommate, Lisa, asked her where he was, and she wouldn't tell them where he was, and then they found him. Another one was they went in and found Brandon right away. So either way, they found Brandon. They shot him, and then Marvin said that Brandon was still twitching, so he asked for a knife and stabbed Brandon in the chest. They found his roommate, Lisa, who was holding her son. They took the son from her, put him in his crib, and then shot and killed Lisa. (gasps) What? They also had at one point asked Lisa if anybody else was in the house. And a man named Philip Devine was in the house. He was dating, I think, Lisa's cousin or something like that. So he was staying with Lisa for a little bit. So they they found Philip, who was hiding in one of the rooms in the home. And told him to come sit out on the couch. And as soon as he sat on the couch, they shot him in the head. They then went back in and shot Lisa a few more times. After this, they fled the scene, leaving baby Tanner, the sole survivor of the attacks. Why? Well, they killed Brandon because they're assholes. And then they wanted to kill Lisa and Philip because they were witnesses. That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. Then these idiots threw their guns and gloves and a sheath of the knife that had John's name on it into a frozen river and went home. So because the river was frozen, the police were very easily able to find the stuff. Dumbasses. So dumb. And they 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 look dumb. Like they just they're hideous. They were arrested the next day, and Marvin tried to blame the whole thing on John and even told police where to locate the gun and knife. And because, like I said, the river was frozen, the police easily found the items and the knife sheath had John's name on it. So idiots. Marvin got a reduced sentence because he blamed blamed it all on john but he did admit to being an accessory to rape and murder and even testified against john 
Marvin was sentenced to life in prison. John was sentenced to death. They both appealed. And in 2007, Marvin actually recanted his testimony against John and said that it was actually him who shot Brandon and John did not commit the murders. So John tried to appeal this using this information in 2009, but was rejected by the Nebraska Supreme Court that said that even under Marvin's new testimony, both John and Marvin were involved in the murder and the specific identity of the shooter was legally irrelevant. He kept trying to appeal and kept getting rejected. And on January 22nd, 2018, John was denied a third time by the U.S. Supreme Court. Good. Rotten Jill, you asshole. Yep. So John remains on death row. Apparently now he's trying to say that he can't be executed because he's mentally disabled. So the cutoff for Nebraska is an IQ of 70. When he was in school, his IQ test put him at 76. He took a test in prison and that put him at 67. However, when he took the test in prison, it was with the purpose of trying to prove that he was mentally disabled so that he couldn't get executed. So I'm sure he like biffed it on purpose a couple times. Marvin is still at Lincoln Correctional Center living out his life sentence. Joanne Brandon's mom, (laughs) Joanne Brandon's mom, sued Richards County and Sheriff Lux and won. So get this. She was awarded $80,000, but District Court Judge Orville Cody, who's also a dick, reduced the amount by 85% because he believed that the responsibility landed on John and Marvin, which like, yeah, but also the police who did nothing. And it definitely wasn't 85% to 15% of responsibility. He then reduced it by another 1% for Joanne's alleged contributory negligence, which is failure of an injured plaintiff to act prudently considered to be a contributing factor in the injury suffered and sometimes reducing the amount recovered from the defendant or AKA that the injury was caused by a both by the negligence of the defendants and by the negligence of the plaintiff. So he basically said, well, some of it's your fault. Murdered child's mother. So I'm going to reduce this by one more percent. What the fuck? So Joanne actually received $17,360 and 97 cents. But in 2001, Nebraska Supreme court reversed the reductions and gave her the 80,000 for mental suffering and another $6,223 and 20 cents for funeral costs. In October of 2001, the same judge awarded another $12,000 to her 5,000 for wrongful death and seven for intentional infliction of emotional, emotional distress. (laughs) Sheriff Lux, our wonderful police officer, In interviews after Brandon's death, at one point referred to Brandon as it. (sighs) But don't worry, he was rewarded for his horrible behavior. He was commissioner of Richardson County and served on the community council and then retired and became a school bus driver. Ew. Yeah. As for Brandon's legacy, the movie starring Hilary Swank, Boys Don't Cry, came out and is based on Brandon's story. There is an interactive web artwork show created in 1998 called Brandon that was commissioned by the Guggenheim Museum. 
a song in 2006 by Pet Shop Boys called Girls Don't Cry about Brandon and a Toronto-based group, um, GPNS Girls, released a song called Brandon in 2014. Mm-hmm. Brandon's case also brought a lot more attention and conservation, or sorry, conversation to the transgender community, and many people believe helped to push some of the transgender safety laws. Brandon's mom still refers to him as she and said, I wonder how my life would be different if she was still with me. She would be such a joy to have around. She was always such a happy kid. I imagine her being a happy adult. And if being happy meant Tina was living as a man, I would be fine with that. But you weren't. Brandon's tombstone reads, Tina Brandon, daughter, sister, friend. So just insulting him all the way through. So that is the horrible story of Brandon. Thanks. I hated it. Yeah. And it's, it's fucking awful that things like this have to happen for change to be made. And I hope that something can come out of Nex's death as well. That's the thing. And the part I really hate is how his mom thought that she was entitled to anything. Like money-wise? Yeah. I mean, I get it, though. Your child was murdered, and it was the police's fault, basically. Like, I would assume. have a relationship with your child. Yeah. And didn't support your child or believe in your child. And even after your child's brutally murdered, you still can't dictate the proper pronouns that he wanted. Yeah. Right? So I get it. If you have a relationship with your child and you support your child, sure. Do that. But it doesn't sound like she did. Yeah. She, in all the interviews I've read from her since, she is... I mean, obviously very emotional about it. Um, very sad. And actually I read one story, but I, I, I didn't read it anywhere else. So I didn't include it in here because I, I don't know how true it is. But one of the things I read was that John, who is in prison on death row, is has a girlfriend and is wanting to marry her. And she believes that he's innocent. And uh, Brandon's mom basically said that she's a crazy bitch. which I think is hilarious. Wow. She said, I would hope you would think like she was Brandon's mom was talking to the girlfriend and said, I want you to try and picture that someone did this to your child. Like, and then someone else was saying that they're innocent and they want to be with them. Like, imagine that. Oh boy. So yeah, I hope something good comes out of the senseless death of next and you know they had so much life ahead of them they were 16 and it's just it's awful yeah it makes me mad but anywho tell us about amelia Earhart. (laughs) (laughs) i'm just gonna drink my drink and listen to amelia Earhart. i don't like to follow stories like that I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
like, I don't feel like I should is my problem. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, this story is going to bring everyone down. So maybe your story can leave them on a decent note for whatever they have to do in their day. I'll leave it on a mystery. Ooh. Yeah. And it's kind of uncovered. So it's right in our niche. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. It's a mystery and a history. Ooh. And it's being uncovered. <laughs> Very clever with the names. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I will just jump right into it. My sources were Britannica, AmeliaEarhart.com, Britannica again. <laughs> There's a couple articles with Britannica, Washington Post, and New York Post. Oh. Mm-hmm. She was born Amelia Earhart on July 24th, 1897 in Atchison, Kansas. Wow. 1897. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that long ago. I didn't either. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that either, honestly. Earhart's mother was from a wealthy family, and her father worked as a railroad lawyer. I was going to say railway. (laughs) I realized it was railroad. (laughs) (laughs) Even as a young child, Amelia Earhart showed the independent spirit and spirit of adventure for which she would later be recognized. And I was telling Ashley earlier that I never realized with her last name, <laughs> because it's spelled like ear heart, mm-hmm. but you pronounce it air heart. And she loved flying in the sky with the air. So <laughs> air heart. <laughs> she loved it. <laughs> she loved it. <laughs> or you can do it as the Gen Z kids do. Hold on. Oh, Evie, yeah, like this. Like the Gen Z kids do it like this. Oh, yeah, like <laughs> I can't get my fingers to do it very well. Then. I can't either. And Evie always wants me to do it. And I'm like, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and my fingers just can't bend that way. I, I, have, like, I, short, like, I have like short, oh. stubby fingers. So, anyways, she loved the sky, and her last name's Earhart. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> And as as Ashley, her father was an alcoholic. (laughs) She said that because I was just drinking it truly. (laughs) Her father, unfortunately, was an alcoholic, and the family had financial difficulties following the passing of her grandparents. Hmm. The Earharts relocated frequently, and in 1916, she graduated from high school in Chicago. Amelia was unimpressed when she saw her first plane at a state fair (laughs) when she was just 10 years old. Was unimpressed? Yeah. (laughs) She stated with disdain, it was a thing of rusty wire and wood and looked not at all interesting. (laughs) Oh. Well, sassy pants. (laughs) She didn't take aviation seriously until she went to a stunt flying display which was nearly 10 years later. Watching from a secluded area, a pilot noticed Amelia and her companion and plunged towards them. She said, 
I'm sure he thought to himself, watch me make them scamper. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Amelia held her ground, experiencing a mixture of pleasure and absolute dread. Like, that girl shit her pants. (laughs) (laughs) But I love how she held it together. It was like, no, I'm not going to let you see me run. Yeah. As the plane swooped by, something inside her awakened. She said, I did not understand it at the time, but I believe that little red airplane said something to me as it swished by. Aww. Earhart. I don't know why I keep going between Earhart and Amelia, but whatever. People, I just... love that name too, Amelia. That's so pretty. It is really pretty. I love it. She was allowed to attend the... This is a made-up word. The... It's <laughs> a made-up word. The Ogaunts School in Rydal, Rydal, Pennsylvania. Anyways, it's spelled O-G-O-N-T-Z. Oh, Gaunts. That's weird. It's also yeah. weird that you say Zed. Well, when I when I do my ABCs, I say Z. <laughs> <laughs> and people call me American. <laughs> do Canadians say Zed? Yeah. Oh, really? Which I think is so stupid because you don't say Zedbra. <laughs> you say Zebra. I'm going to start saying Zedbra. <laughs> so basically the school was prestigious and it was a private all-female school so she was able to go there because her mother received her inheritance but while visiting her sister in canada amelia became interested in providing care for world war one troops who had been injured oh she dropped out of junior college in 1918 to work as a Toronto nurse's assistant. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> Canada. <laughs> Canada. Canada. Amelia enrolled in Columbia University's pre-med program in New York City following the war, but she left in 1920 when her parents requested that she stay with them in California. In 1920, she took her maiden flight there, which inspired her to pursue flying training. Mm. On December 28, 1920, pilot Frank Hawks gave her a ride that would forever change her life. She said, by the time I had got two or three hundred feet off the ground... I knew I had to fly. (laughs) So cute. I just love her passion. Yeah, I do too. She purchased her first aircraft, a Kinner Airster, in 1921 and obtained her pilot's license two years later. Amelia relocated to Massachusetts in the middle of the 1920s, working as a social worker at the Boston-area settlement house for immigrants called Denison House. Oh. She kept pursuing her interest in aviation at this time as well. So she is just, like, well-rounded. Yeah, for sure. I didn't realize that. I thought, like, she only flew. Me too. I honestly... 
didn't know much about her. I didn't either. Her major accomplishment yeah. and the fact that she disappeared during it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Same. <clears throat> Amelia received a call at work one afternoon in April 1928. She responded with, I'm too busy to answer right now. <laughs> she thought it was a joke, but she gave in after learning that it was super important. She didn't know the man was serious until the caller gave her some great references. He inquired, how would you like to be the first woman to fly the Atlantic? To which Amelia quickly answered, Hells yeah! Hells <laughs> to the ass, bitches! <laughs> <laughs> Amelia took out from Trapassi, Newfoundland. I don't know why I was trying to pronounce that a different way. Um, Newfoundland? <laughs> <laughs> you should know that. That is yours. <laughs> I know, but I was trying to pronounce it how you guys would like know it. Like Newfoundland? Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Oh, we don't say that. At least no. I've never heard of it. I've always heard people say Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Yeah. 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 Okay. Anyways. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why. I was just trying to pronounce it how I thought you guys would know it. (laughs) (laughs) She left on June 17th, 1928, as a passenger in a seaplane flown by Wilmer Stoltz and Lewis Gordon. On June 18th, so the following day. Really, you did that in 24 hours? Okay, anyways. <laughs> After touching down in Burryport, Wales, Amelia rose to fame across the globe. Because three pilots had passed away in the previous year while attempting to become the first women to fly across the Atlantic, this historic voyage garnered international attention. So people had literally died trying to do this before. That's crazy. Go her. Balls of steel, man. It just seems weird that they would die, though. Like, I just don't get it. Anyways. Upon the crew's return to the United States, President Calvin Coolidge hosted a banquet at the White House and a ticker tape parade in New York was waiting for them when they had touched down. She went on a lecture tour across the country and authored a book on the flight in 20 hours and 40 minutes. And she published that in 1928. So they did that in less than 24 hours, which is really freaking cool. Yeah, that's really awesome. George Palmer Putnam, a publisher who had assisted in planning the historic flight, managed a large portion of the publicity. Despite continuing to operate under her maiden name, Amelia Earhart married... George Palmer Putnam in 1931. She also achieved a record that year when she flew in Auto Gyro to a height of 18,415 feet or 5,613 meters. So I have high. like little to no understanding of height. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> But like, if you told me three million feet high or two hundred feet high, I'd be like, "Oh." So <laughs> what I 
is my understanding an autogyro is the pic- the plane that you picture the Wright brothers kind of making. Oh, okay. The one with the like, two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- that's what I found when I looked a picture up. Because I'm like, what the hell is an autogyro or yeah. gyro? And so it's kind of like <laughs> one of those planes. Yeah. Or gyro. <laughs> <laughs> So to me, those don't fly very high. Yeah. So I'm assuming what she did was pretty fantastic. So I would assume if it's noteworthy, you know. Yeah. So pretty cool. Pretty cool. Not to interrupt you, but um, on totally <clears throat> not having anything to do with your story, I just found out that Pete Davidson is coming to the casino by me and i have to go see him just fyi for people it seems like across the highway from you right yeah which is sad that he's coming to a casino but yeah. <laughs> i still want to see him i looked at, like if there was a couple like front row tickets left they're 300 dollars. Yeah, i'm not gonna pay that stupid. much but i really want to go see Pete davidson that's so weird that he's going to west virginia <laughs> to a casino yeah that's so random but i really want to see him sorry continue with your story (laughs) okay so on may 20th 1932 pete davidson traveled alone across the atlantic (laughs) oh no pete (laughs) amelia traveled alone across the atlantic in an effort to live up to the notoriety that her 1928 journey had earned her So four years later, she did it by herself. Despite a number of issues, she managed to complete the journey from Harbor Grace, Newfoundland to Londonderry, Northern Ireland in a record time of 14 hours and 56 minutes. She was unable to land in Paris, which was her intended destination due to weather and mechanical issues. So despite all of those issues, weather, mechanical crap, she still managed to do this in a record amount of time by her fucking self. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> this part is funny. She said, after scaring most of the cows in the neighborhood, I pulled up in a farmer's backyard. <laughs> oh, no. The media, both domestically and internationally, surrounded her as word of her flight spread. The National Geographic Society awarded Amelia a gold medal, which was given to her by President Herbert Hoover. Oh, another president. Cool. (laughs) She received the first ever Distinguished Flying Cross from Congress. Vice President Charles Curtis commended her bravery during the event, stating that she showed heroic courage and skill as a navigator at the risk of her own life. Wow. How freaking cool is this woman? Very cool. And she Way like cooler total... than I'll ever be. <laughs> she looked like a total, like, I'm not dissing on these people, but just like a total dweeb. <laughs> like, she doesn't... <laughs> But if you look up a picture of her, she doesn't look like the type of woman to do shit like this, which is like, which makes her so much cooler. Yeah. She looks like and the type just, that'd be like in a library okay. reading. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not that people that are in libraries are dweebs. But no. Like, 
She looked very studious. Exactly. Thank you. That's what I meant. Not like a daredevil. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Very conservative. Yes. (laughs) For Amelia, the trip demonstrated that jobs requiring intelligence, coordination, speed, coolness, and willpower were equally suitable for men and women. I know when you say coolness, you mean like like your temperament, but I like to think of it as she was hecka cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> After that, she wrote about her life and her passion in flying in her book, The Fun of It, in 1932. After that, Amelia Earhart flew across the country on several occasions. Apart from her impressive flying accomplishments, Amelia was well known for inspiring women to defy restrictive societal conventions and go for their dreams, particularly in the realm of aviation. She played a part in the founding of the 99s, a group of female pilots in 1929. Earhart was the organization's first president. I just love that. I love that, especially for the time that it was in, you know, Uh huh. where I'm sure it wasn't easy for her to be like that. No, she was kicking ass and taking names. Yeah. In 1933, she also unveiled a range of practical apparel meant for the woman who lives actively. Ooh. Like, how cool. Yeah, I love that. This lady. She's doing it all, man. Flying, writing books, doing lectures, supporting women, and has a fucking fashion line. Yeah, I love it. Love it. God, this lady. I see why people like her so much. (laughs) She's so cool. Yeah. With her historic first solo trip from Hawaii to California in 1935, Amelia made history by traveling 2,408 miles or 3,875 kilometers on a treacherous path that was longer than the distance from the U.S. to Europe. Wow. She left Honolulu on January 11th and arrived in Oakland the following day, having traveled 17 hours and 7 minutes. She was the first person to fly alone from Los Angeles to Mexico City later that year. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. With Fred Noonan serving as her navigator, Amelia Earhart set out to round the globe in a twin-engine Lockheed Electra in 1937. The two set out on their 29,000-mile or 47,000-kilometer expedition going east from Miami on June 1st. How insane. That's crazy. How bananas. They stopped for refueling several times during the next few weeks until arriving in Leh, New Guinea on June 29th. By then, Amelia Earhart and Noonan had covered almost 35,000 kilometers or 22,000 miles out of the 29,000 miles. So they had covered 22,000 miles out of the 29, okay? Mm -hmm. So they weren't far off their goal. Mm -hmm. 
On July 2nd, they set out for Howland Island, which was roughly 2,600 miles or 4,200 kilometers away. All unnecessary items were taken out of the aircraft to create space for more fuel at this point. It was anticipated that the flight would be challenging, giving given the tiny coral atoll's challenging location. Hmm. And an atoll is an island, group of islets, or coral reef with a ring form. Okay. So a lagoon is a body of water surrounded by an atoll. Okay. Lagoons and atolls can occasionally shield a central island, and lagoons are linked to the open ocean or sea by channels that run between islets. Okay. So... Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what a fucking atoll is. I don't think anybody else is going to know. No, what I would have not known. Yeah. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, I like. I hope people are thinking the way I'm thinking. Because... <laughs> and then I have to try not to go down like rabbit holes. So I'm like, okay, I only need to pluck this. <laughs> Pretty soon we have gonna... a whole geology lesson. <laughs> I sucked geography by the way <laughs> oh yeah that's what i meant geography not geology no i meant geology you like, meant geology pipes, that's fine yeah, and yeah. i meant geography because okay obviously that just reminded me of it but i sucked at geography <laughs> i it never was, had like, to take so geography. bad i did in grade nine it was one of our required courses Ooh. and i still remember my teacher's name actually <laughs> Anyways, I was not good at it. So sorry, Mr. Verbeam. But <laughs> we did like we had to learn Canada when we did were you in... have to color us in. Yeah, I think so. When we oh, were in God, middle school. Poor people. <laughs> and then we had to learn obviously like the United States when I was in elementary. And then I think when I was in college, yeah, I had to learn all the countries in Africa. But and where they're at. And their capitals. But don't ask me any of it now because I could not tell you. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, we had the the worst was coloring in the Northwest Territories. And <laughs> I don't know that we had to do the Nunavut. territories. I think we just had to do the provinces. Oh, okay. Well, you're lucky because we had to color in all that other shit. And they're like <laughs> tiny little patches of land here and here and here. So 20 little patches everywhere. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> For coloring purposes, people. Sea mounts or underwater volcanoes are the building blocks of atolls. Oh, hey, we're still going. <laughs> Lava is first released from the volcano and accumulates on the seafloor. The sea mount rises in elevation as the volcano erupts, finally shattering the water's surface. The volcano summit turns into an island in the water. Got Which it. is really cool. Yes. I'm actually really interested in that. It's like, oh. <laughs> okay, we're going to go into an episode about atolls. <laughs> Excuse me while I take a break while you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Two American ships were stationed to mark the route with strong lights to aid in navigation. Also, Amelia had sporadic radio communication with the U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Itasca, which was located close to Howland. Okay. So basically, because of these atolls, they needed guidance. Okay. So they said, you said that they had really bright lights. So I'm assuming she did this trip at night. 
Well, she she was flying all the time, basically. Okay, so right? it's probably turning into night at some point. Yeah, you gotta you gotta go 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 right if you're gonna make that much time. So, ba da ba ba. In subsequent communications, <laughs> Amelia requested that the Itasca locate her. She received a constant stream of transmissions from the Itasca, but she was unable to hear them at this point. For the most of the journey, her radio communications were sporadic, weak, or stuttered with static. The Itasca received the word, we must be on you, but we cannot see you at 7.42 a.m. Then, there's not much fuel left. Couldn't get through to you on the radio. We are a thousand feet above the ground. The ship attempted to respond, but the plane didn't appear to hear it. Earhart reported, we are running north and south at 8.45 a.m. And then they didn't hear from her again. After the plane was thought to have crashed around 100 miles or 160 kilometers from the island, a thorough search was conducted to locate Earhart and Noonan. It became the largest air and sea search in Navy history. Reluctantly, the U.S. authorities canceled the mission on July 19th after incurring $4 million in costs and searching 250,000 square miles of ocean, and the two were deemed missing at sea. Oh my gosh, four million back then is a lot. Yeah. Her bravery was evident in a letter she wrote to her husband, preparing for the possibility that this perilous voyage would be her last. She wrote, Please know that I am fully aware of the hazards. The reason I want to do it is because I want to. Women have to try to accomplish things the way men have. When they fall short, it should only serve as a challenge to others. I love that. Like, she didn't need a reason other than she just wanted to, man. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I do, too. I, I thought that was really cool. It's like, yeah. Yeah. The reason I'm doing it is just because I fucking want to. Yeah. Yeah. Other letters and journal entries that Amelia Earhart wrote her husband during the journey were included in the 1937 book, Last Flight. In 1938, a lighthouse was built on Howland Island in honor of Amelia Earhart, and her name is attached to streets, airports, and schools all over the United States. Atchison, Kansas, where she was born, became a virtual temple to her memory. Annually, scholarships and honors in honor of Amelia Earhart are presented. The public was captivated by Amelia Earhart's enigmatic disappearance, which led to a plethora of ideas and assertions. (laughs) (laughs) I know an enemy. (laughs) I know an enemy. Notably, some thought that she and Noonan had crashed on another island when they couldn't find Howland. According to one account, Amelia Earhart was a secret agent for the United States government and was captured by the Japanese 
when she attempted to spy on islands under Japanese occupation. Interesting. Yeah. The more popular idea holds that Earhart and Noonan arrived in Nikumaroro. I hope I said that okay. Nikumaroro. (laughs) An uninhabited island where items have been found, including tools and airplane wreckage. The only reason I'm confused by that word is because when I was reading it, during research, it looked different than it does now. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's such an easy word to say. <laughs> and I'm like struggling. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> a scientific study around 2017-2018 argued that bones discovered in 1940 on the Pacific island of Nikumaroro belonged to Earhart. Despite a forensic analysis of the remains in 1941, so a year later, that identified the bones as those of a man. I did hear that one, yeah. Yeah. The bones were discarded after being revisited in the article, Amelia Earhart and the Nikki Mororo Bones, by University of Tennessee professor Richard L. Jantz. For decades they have remained an enigma with some speculating that Earhart died as a castaway on the island following her plane accident according to the report a british expedition that was examining the island for potential settlement discovered the bones after discovering a human skull a more extensive examination of the region ordered by the expedition's officer turned up several more bones and what looked to be a piece of a woman's shoe. Other discoveries included a bottle of herbal liqueur called Benedictine and a box designed to house a Brandis Navy surveying sextant, which had been produced circa 1918. So kind of seems yeah and maybe you'll get maybe you'll get to this but didn't they someone do more stuff with the missing Uh bones Uh uh okay okay you'll get to that Uh jance collaborated on the development of a computer program that used skeleton measures to predict ancestry and sex in an effort to compare the missing bones with those of Amelia Earhart. Forensic anthropologists used Fordisk on a regular basis all over the world. Using Earhart's height, weight, body type, limb lengths, and proportions, as well as details from photos and her driver's and pilot's licenses, Jance compared the lengths of the bones to her measurements which is so cool. (laughs) Yeah, that is really cool. According to his research, 99% of individuals in a large reference sample had more similarity to the Nikki Memoro bones than did Amelia Earhart's bones. So basically, what they're saying is that this is like 99% Amelia Earhart. Wow. Wow. 
In the case of the Nikki Mamaro bones, the only documented person to whom they may belong is Amelia Earhart, Jantz wrote in his study. Wow. However, in 2016, Rick Gillespie, the director of the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, expressed his belief that Amelia Earhart's bones were discovered on Nikki Mamaro in an interview with Cleve R. Woods. Lutzen Jr. of the Washington Post. So he also thought that those were her bones. Wow. Nikki Mororo is an uninhabited coral atoll in the Central Pacific that is often referred to as Gardner Island. Kiribati was formerly known as the Gilbert Islands and was a British property. In 1998, the team used a comprehensive anthropological database to assess Hoodless's measurements of the Nikki Mororo bones. They discovered that the bones belonged to a European woman who was taller than ordinary. This could have been Amelia Earhart, who stood five feet seven, five feet eight inches taller than the typical woman. What? That doesn't make any sense. Probably just five foot eight. <laughs> She was like five foot seven or five foot eight, which was taller than the average American woman at the time, comma inches taller than the typical woman. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Commas are important, people. <laughs> I did not use one and see what it did. <laughs> Messes you up. <laughs> oh, I'm the same height as her. Oh, that's cool. I'm that not. Is- no. no, I'm shorter. <laughs> oh, <laughs> poor you. Poor me. I'll reach things for you. It's okay. Thanks. <laughs> the team presented the measurements for forensic ex or sir two forensic expert <laughs> Jeff Glickman in 2016, and he was able to discover an old Lockheed Aircraft Corporation photo of Amelia Earhart showing her arms bared. It seemed that one of the Nikki Mororo bones and the upper arm bone of Amelia Earhart matched based on informed estimations. Oh, wow. So cool. Using canines that have been properly trained to detect the compounds left behind by decomposing human remains, researchers visited Nikki Mororo in June 2017. They were very optimistic when the dogs appeared to smell human bones under a wren tree leading them to believe that they may find a bone. However, there were none to be found. A week later, a picture reportedly taken by Amelia Earhart in Japan was released by the History Channel. Researchers speculated that Amelia Earhart might have been taken prisoner by the Japanese due to a photograph that they discovered in the National Archives. The photograph depicted Earhart and Noonan in Jalut Harbor in the Marshall Islands following their disappearance. There was some that disputed the photo, saying it was originally published two years prior to the crash in, like, a travel guide or something. Okay. But a lot of evidence still points to Nikki Mororo. Okay. And I saw the picture, and they were saying that it looked like Amelia Earhart was sitting down it could have been anybody. Yeah. Like, okay. she had shorter hair. Her back was to the camera. Oh, okay. Right? So, it 
it could have been anyone, I find. But they also said it looked like there was a ship in the harbor. Uh-huh. Like a plane, sorry, not a ship. <laughs> um, so I don't know. But interesting. Yeah. Now, new evidence has come to light literally within the past couple of weeks. After a search in the Pacific located what may be Amelia Earhart's long-lost aircraft. Oh. Yeah. So her family is optimistic, but they're also, like, trying They've to They've been keep... down this path before. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The de facto family spokesperson for Amelia Earhart, her great-nephew, Bram Kleppner expressed gratitude for Air Force veteran Tony Romeo's 90-day mission near Howland Island. Romeo texted the family on the last day of the search, giving them new hope that they might eventually receive some answers when his deep-sea vision team discovered what looked to be a sunken aircraft 16,000 feet deep. He said, there have been many, many searches, and really not a single shred of evidence has turned up, Kleppner told Fox. It feels like this is a more promising lead than anything we've seen to date. The image they got does look like a plane, and it isn't about the right place where Amelia would have crashed, he said. But, really... So is the theory that basically she ran out of gas and crashed? Despite the several theories that have been put up over the years, Kleppner said the family was keeping expectations in check and valued the effort and openness Romeo had put into the project. Romeo intended to explore the waters around Howland Island where Amelia Earhart was scheduled to refuel with her navigator, Fred Noonan prior to the loss of their radio communications. Romeo's search was based off of the Dateline theory put forth in 2010 by Liz Smith, who was an amateur pilot and former NASA employee. Smith thought that Noonan was fatigued from what was supposed to be a record-breaking circumnavigation and had forgot to account for the shift in time due to the international Dateline. According to the notion, Romeo and his team were hunting within a radius of around 60 miles from Howard Island when they made their mistake. As they are ready for a follow-up voyage, Deep Sea Vision is presently reviewing their findings with subject matter specialists. Romeo stated to the Daily Mail earlier earlier this month... (laughs) That unless they obtain a sharper image, nothing is certain because the sonar may have picked up photos of another aircraft or perhaps a rock formation. He said, we need to get a camera on it. When we see those numbers, NR16020 on the wing, that's when we'll know for sure what it is. Nevertheless, no solid proof for these assertions could be located, of course, because it's a mystery yet to be uncovered. The majority of specialists, though, think that Earhart's plane ran out of fuel and crashed in the Pacific close to Howland Island. And regardless of what happened, she was a mainstay of popular culture and the focus of multiple novels and motion pictures. 
We have a dumb question. Sure. What would calculating the time change have to do with anything? I think to me, it would be that they had certain time expectations on their hand. And so they were calculating for time, not distance in that case. Oh, okay. Okay. But I'm honestly not too sure. That makes sense, though. That would probably, yeah. Because I'm also dumb, so I don't know. <laughs> so, well, if any of you know, let us know. <laughs> yeah, because because we're dumb. Yeah, we want you to solve Amelia Earhart's disappearance. Okay, please, please. We need to know. We need to know. <laughs> but honestly, I saw the the radar photo as well, and eh? is it a ship? Is it just? A blurry blur of lines and shapes. Who knows? But <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> okay. Okay. I gotcha. But anyways, that is my story on Amelia Earhart. That was amazing. Thank you. I love that. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. She was pretty dope. Yeah, she was. And look, I have a plane. <laughs> oh, fun. I love that. This is Oliver's <laughs> plane, but somehow one of the rotors broke off. So Aww. she's got this. Oh, the low, the one, the one. Actually, technically, boy. this is Morrow's plane, but oh, <laughs> I have some jokes. Yes. Okay, are we ready? Yes. Okay. What a beautiful wedding! Even the cake was and in the bridesmaid twos. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I chimed in with the half of two people that I heard enough. Close the goddamn door, no. I'm so mad because I loved Panic at the Disco. I did too. Oh. Until I learned what a trash bag Brennan Yuri is. <gasps> I don't know any of this. Uh huh. Oh uh-huh. no. I'm going to have to look it up. So we just paused so I could look it up. And apparently he was accused of. Uh, some Doing pretty bad some stuff. Touchy, touchy, naughty, naughty with underage kids. So, well, yeah. underage people. I don't want to say kids. I don't know how old they were. I just said underage, which <laughs> are kids. So, yeah, I guess kids. But yeah, that's not good. And that makes me sad. Yeah. I really like Panic too. I loved them. They were my favorite band for a long time. Yeah. Like every song I loved. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bummer. Also, apparently, their like manager or something got accused of abuse and sexual misconduct too. Oh my God. Yeah. That's insane. Okay. Uh, I have another Anywho, joke. another joke. After this shit show. <laughs> Did you hear about the explosion at the cheese factory? No. All that was left was debris. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Another. Did you hear about the circus fire? No. It was intense. <laughs> Does February March? No, but April May. <laughs> That's so stupid. Oh my gosh. Well, if you want more of us love. No, I'm not ladies. done. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Before we go on, I have a band I want to uh, like a singer I want to recommend, okay? Oh, okay. 
So, oh God, oh God, what is happening? I, they're called Sail North. And there's only like two songs on Spotify right now, but they sing like sea shanties. And it's the best I love thing it. Ever. That's awesome. So they're like very folksy and it's so cute. Anyways, I just wanted to put that out there because if people are weird like me, I want them to know about this singer. So go te- check out Sail North. Yes. yes. The sea shanty. only three songs and i'm really sad about it but (laughs) it's really they're really cute and one of them has like a kid in it and i don't know if it's like his kid or what but it's the cutest thing ever oh i love that so now i'm done you may proceed all right so if you want more of us (laughs) lovely ladies you can find us on facebook instagram tiktok and patreon you can join our patreon for a three dollars and get a sticker and a bonus episode each month and we're on youtube I was just about to say, we're also on YouTube, (laughs) (laughs) where you can write nice comments, please. Nice comments. Nice comments, constructive comments, whatever works. But (laughs) And if you would also like to rate and review us, you can do so on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to bringing you two new stories next week. Bye. Bye.